Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Kate Boyer, the co-founder and CEO of Anatomy. Kate and her husband, Sean, founded Anatomy in 2006 after years of experience in the activewear business. Budapest-born, Kate got her MBA in international trade in France while working as a girls' gymnastics coach and dressing the team in outfits that she designed herself. From there, the self-taught designer developed private label collections for many exclusive resorts in St. Barr. She met her husband, Sean, in Miami, where he designed customized clothing for hard-to-fit athletic men. The two joined forces to design sportswear for brands such as Elite Models, Cigarette Boats, Lamborghini, and Nike Beach Clubs. Kate, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite the story. I can't believe it's mine. <laughs> That's how everybody feels. It's weird to hear your life played back and some of the highlights like that, right? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm curious. What you know, We mentioned a little bit in the intro, but from your vantage point, how did this whole thing get started? Necessity and survival and the combination of those two things, I guess. Um, the part, you know, not mentioned is I hitchhiked out of my country when I was 18. So that's how I ended up in France and wow. finished my MBA. And I actually self-financed it uh, by selling clothes. So you mentioned a little bit I was training young um, kids for gymnastics. So I was paid as a coach and a trainer. And that's how I financed my studies. But what happened is I was wearing the clothes. The girls were wearing the clothes. We were national champions in France three years in a row. And people noticed that, well, you know, we looked different. So they started asking, who made these? I said, well, I did. <laughs> so I ended up, you know, basically just starting a line from there. I had a friend who was manufacturing clothing in Hungary and he said, I can help. I said, fine. We went to fabric shows in France and, you know, I knew how to pick high performance materials because that was my background. And, you know, that's our story and we're sticking to it. This, this, um, we had to buy, you know, one that would last a long time. So we needed very resistant materials, which is the core DNA of the brand today still, you know, two decades later. But I guess if I go to the roots of everything, that's what it was, is we were fulfilling a need. We have to be smart about what we wear, how we do it, because we couldn't afford many things. We needed something durable and versatile. And that's still the tagline of anatomy. And when I combined forces with my husband, he basically elevated the design to a different level. My background was more athletic. So that's why today we say, if Lululemon and Prada had a baby, that would be anatomy, because that's the combination. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, my my wife, I, was, I told her about this interview. She went and looked up your website and was looking at your clothings and uh, was quite ecstatic. She thought uh, she, she's a big fan. So uh, you guys are definitely uh, hitting the mark of, of that combination. I'm curious, that seems like a tough business to break into, especially startup coming kind of from nowhere, designing your own clothes. How difficult was it for you to really get a foot in that door? So we just kept doing, you know, I was alone for a long time doing it and creating it. When you're doing it that age, you kind of don't think about it, right? You're young and stupid and (laughs) not afraid of anything and you have nothing to lose. So it's kind of the power of broke. 
um, you risk everything and you just go for it. So I didn't, you know, we didn't have a business plan or anything like that. We just, we were just doing it. We were just learning by doing. And I do have an MBA, I'm a math major. Okay. So I'm lucky to be really good with numbers, um, which I still love today. I'm the one who works with the banks and finance and things like that. And my husband is the creative mind. He's the one who likes to cut and sew and do the fa- go to factories and fittings and things like that. So yeah, it's difficult. I think you have to find a niche. You have to do it differently than other companies. Um, you have to know your audience and kind of like, you know, sounds like your wife is one of them. When I'm in front of the right lady, there's no turning back. They immediately know and appreciate the value. They like the fit, they like the quality, they like the look of it. Um, it's not for everybody, but you know, we have been very good at giving these ladies what they want. We have evolved. Um, throughout the years, you know, even last year we grew as a business in 2008, I was growing 40% a year. So nothing really scares me. I think you have to have an optimistic approach about everything, even when bad things happen. Um, You need survivor skills. You have to be very resilient. And I'm also a female, so we multitask really well. (laughs) Yeah, That's also part of it. I'm never intimidated. Um, my little girl is like that too. I have a six-year-old who's fearless. <laughs> so hopefully, maybe it's genetic. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned having to be resilient, which is par for the course for anybody trying to do anything, you know, ambitious, right? That you're gonna have setbacks, you're gonna have challenges, you're gonna have moments of self-doubt. You got to push through. When you think back on those early years, was that resilient something that? was just there and came out naturally or is it something you had to cultivate and learn how to build more grit and build more resilience? No, I actually had to learn the corporate structure around it later in life. So I think the resilience was coming from where I come from, which is nowhere. Um, I mean, this was a very great world back in the days, you know, this is my generation that took down the burden wall. You know, we spoke Russian for a very long time. So that's something I didn't have to learn. And I'm not sure if it's teachable even, but later in life, the skills of running a successful business, I think it really, really kicks in. When you start selling your first one, two, three, four, five million, right? And it's a whole other world of investors, board, employees. That's the part I needed more coaching because in the beginning, you're kind of wise. You do whatever you want, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that works for me. When you have to listen to people, hey, I'm not so good at that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when you think of some of those skills that you had to learn, right? It's successful now. It's, it's in its first few million. Uh, what were some of those things you said, man, I really need, I need some learning around this. I need a better grasp of this skill or this ability to lead this growing organization? Hiring and firing is tough because you start a startup and you love the people, right? I had employees who were with me for 14 years and I caught the guy stealing and we did everything for him. We have him personally, with family. So you kind of have to get through people breaking your heart, you know, sooner or later. So that was a tough slap in the face. That was really not necessary, but it happened and you have to deal with it. So there's that. Um, And then when I mentioned this to our board, they were like, yeah, it happens all the time. If it's not your accountant, it's your warehouse manager. I'm like, yeah, it was both actually. (laughs) So yeah, it was really tough in the middle of, you know, last year actually. So 
things happen. That was tough. Um, raising capital is important. And, you know, I'm a young female with a funny accent. So that was not easy being in boardrooms um, with older males that thought, you know, I should go home and raise my baby. So that's that was tough. Um, yeah, but you learn all this. I, I have a couple of good uh, mentors, like personal ones, and they're teaching me good things. They are successful and wealthy. And I tend to listen better to the ones who were entrepreneurs and have been through what we're going through yeah. versus somebody who worked for corporate America in a job, right? That's a different dynamic. Much and, different. Right. But at yeah. some point, you know, the organization has to grow up as well and you need to stabilize and kind of act calmer and slower. And it's really hard for me <laughs> because I'm still the same hot up entrepreneur that loves what she does, right? Because I live and bring the brand and the clothing that we do every day of my life. Yeah. So it's very real and sincere. Um, but yeah, they told me some good lessons, like, you know, never run out of money. <laughs> That's my responsibility. So that's stressful. On yeah. top of family and everything. Yeah. yeah, I got some good lines if you want to hear it. One of my board members always says, I have two lessons for you. Get one, always take the money. Two, never give it back. Three, don't forget the first two. So, <laughs> I got things like that. Oh, that's so good. Uh, and it's a, it, it uh, sounds like you've got amazing people in your corner that have, that have been helping you navigate these waters, which is huge. Uh, mostly so customers, mostly customers. I have to point that out. That's very unique with anatomy is that the initial investors were customers. The second round were customers. And the third round was the husbands of the customers. We wow. finally caught their eye. It caught up to us. <laughs> wow. Well, I have to say too, for the audience listening in, if you hear all the noise, this feels symbolic for Kate's journey. We, we've caught her in the middle of her warehouse with people scrambling around, fulfilling orders and doing things. And we're rolling with it. Uh, but that does feel maybe like your life where you grew up in Budapest and you, you hitchhiked out of there and then you find yourself in a startup and it's just kind of this whole whirlwind uh, that sounds like you like too. Does this part of you kind of enjoy the chaos and enjoy the, the new craziness? I guess I'm guilty as charged about that. This is not for everybody. And, uh, you know, 2015, we hired the president CEO who kind of completes our craziness, which I also think younger entrepreneurs need. You need an operations person that's good with dealing people, who's more diplomatic. You know, I'm a very straight talker. It doesn't always go in your favor. And he's more diplomatic. Yeah. Um, you know, there's legal issues here and there with trademarks and um, situations. So... You need the balance, but I guess your question, yeah, I, I like this is an organized chaos. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. As most great entrepreneurs are, they 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 like creating stuff, right? And that that creation stirs things up, and it creates new solutions while also creating new problems. And it's it's the fun of it, right? Um, it's a challenge. It's every we look at every challenge, and I hope I'm teaching my team that we look at every challenge as an opportunity. Mm. I love that. Uh, that also creates resilience. You said you didn't know if you could create it, but I think you can. I think you can at least improve awareness for where we can see things that would pr provide more uh, sticking power than maybe if we viewed it a different way, right? Where most people see a challenge and they go, oh, that's a roadblock. We can't go there. Somebody with built-in resilience says, no, there's a way to get over that or around it or bust through it. And we've just got to figure it out, right? 
and you keep trying because sometimes the climbing doesn't work or you get tired and you go run it's too long and you're busting through you need everybody on your side to do it that's right that's all right. above three you just mentioned you're so right can happen yeah sometimes simultaneously <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got you've got three different teams one's trying to get over it, one's trying to go around one's trying to bust through it right one way or another, we're going to figure out our way through that roadblock. Very close to, you know, an athletic uh, background. You have a sports team with a winning mentality, and you're kind of like the coach, right? Yeah. But, um, so I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs have some sort of a sports background. Also, they understand and love those dynamics. It's very similar, like scary similar. Yeah. Oh, same for us. You know, my, my co-founder and I both, had an extensive background in sports, and now we find ourselves as performance coaches for, for people in fast-growing companies. And we can't help but to take those lessons and see them applied here. We like to think of people like you as business athletes, where you're doing business, but you have to be on. You have to be on your A game. You have to bring your talent to bear on the field of business, right? Uh, so I'm curious for you, how has that role shifted, right? Earlier in a startup, you are kind of the, the, the one-woman show right? Where you are client facing, you're creating, you're making new deals, and then the business and organization grows. And now maybe you have to play the same role, or maybe you have to start playing a role where you're coaching internal people, you're coaching your team, your sales team. Uh, what did that transition look like for you in the kind of wearing of responsibilities and roles? So it came out of a sales position, because when we first launched the brand, actually with my husband, for the first six years, we have done 400 events around the United States. Wow. When we first came up with the trademark anatomy, it was European, the fabrics were very light, tailored, you know, very trendy and fashion forward for athletic fabrics, right? So pioneering at leisure before they had a name for it, you know, you get a lot of roadblocks. When you're the first one in line, you get the first arrows, right? You get, yeah, shot, yeah. You get shot down quickly. So we had to prove everybody wrong. And we spent the first couple of years doing that on our, literally on our hands and knees, loading and unloading product around the country from Silicon Valley to the Hamptons and across the country everywhere. You can think of every major city, um, which I Googled the wealthy zip code. So at least we targeted really well. <laughs> but those are the ones we went after. So my position was very sales oriented for a very long time, right? And at some point you get maxed out. Mm. So the dilemma was, okay, how do we create five cakes or 10 cakes or 100 cakes? So now we have Salesforce in direct retail, in wholesale as well. Um, and I had to train them the pitch. We had to coach them our way of fitting and styling people because it's very different from our competition. Uh, we take, we're very body conscious and we take them very seriously. And our line is complicated. We have 12 pants that fit different by body type. Versus in America, everything is from size two to twenty-two, right? Yeah, yeah. We literally designed every pan for a different body shape. So I had to teach the people how do you size up your own customer and which one of the twelve she's gonna fit into, so she's not aggravated for three hours trying on things with you, right? You have five minutes to do it in a hospitality environment or in a spa or a country club or a golf shop or a specialty stores because we are not on the channel, um, right, brand. So that was a big evolution, you know, from stepping back from the actual sales force and kind of running the show. And for a while, being the head cheerleader, but then, you know, getting accountants and shipping people and the whole marketing team as well. So 
I like the challenge and the opportunity of being the CEO and staying the one, even against the currents and, yeah. you know, having surrounded myself with investors and board. Obviously, you know, you can only imagine how many times they wanted to replace me, like a Mark Zuckerberg story or a Steve Jobs story. It's very similar. Yeah. You know, you have to stand your ground and the only proof of the pudding is your performance. You can talk all you want, right? But at the end of the year, did you make that 10 million? Did you make that, you know, budget line on the Pribita? Like you gotta perform. Yeah. That's when they start believing you. So that's been an evolution. That sounds stressful. Yeah, we gotta have the stomach and the balls for all this. <laughs> it's not easy. If it's easy, everybody would be doing it. That's right. That's right. So I'm curious for you with that constant stress, all the different kind of balls you're juggling at once and the pressure that's being put on you, how do you handle that well? How do you thrive under that stress and pressure versus getting burnt out and kind of losing losing your edge and maybe losing your energy? Some of it is in the routine, I guess. Early morning up. <laughs> You know, feed the kid, dress the kid, get on the school bus, <laughs> yeah. and then go for a run in my head. Okay. Almost every morning I run or exercise. So that helps a lot. Um, I take hot bubble baths with my daughter. <laughs> That's very personal. We disconnect yeah. and we travel for adventures. Um, even throughout the pandemic, I find ways to get away for long weekends and kind of take a break. Um, to clear your mind. I'm just come old school. I have my journal too. Like I write down things and ideas and I check myself on certain things I had to do, whether I did them or not. I have a list of the Rockefeller habits. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. I have a list of what's my other one from another um from Bernie. Oh, hold on. See those? Yep. A routine, ritual, red word, blue work. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with retreat, respect, replenish. So some code words, you know, Good. that I live by. Yeah. So it sounds like you do have some, some rhythm. And yeah. Some things that you've kind of built in that really help you mentally or help you physically, you know, replenish. I don't freak out. Yeah. I don't freak out when things happen. So it's really interesting. I think as a CEO or a founder, you have to resolve like, you know, 20 problems a day, if not more. And everybody goes to you with that. So. How do you really think about that? How do you think about that? I don't. I just work with them, solve them. Like, oh, please do that. Let's go around it like that. Yeah. Um, I could just come in a you know, strange box, like, you know, right on the box you want. Like, you know, figure it out. They, they want me to make a t-shirt for myself. Let's just figure it out. <laughs> if you keep telling everybody, just stop asking me, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. You have to empower your people too, because it's a shared, everybody has self options. So I think having a sense of ownership and not a sense of entitlement in the company is important. I don't work well with people that show up as a nine to five job. Sooner or later, we have to get rid of them. And I work really well with the ones that are on yeah. all the time. Yeah. Right? So we're in it together. That's so good. Well, I love that. People, we hear that all the time in, in our business. They want their culture, they want their people to take a more of an owner's mentality, right? Where they are uh, owning their role, they are providing solutions, not just problems. They are taking responsibility for the results they're getting. 
uh, putting in extra energy and effort, but it's hard to get people to switch from that nine to five. I just show up and do what you tell me to, yes, I'm going to really, you know, kind of take the owner's mentality. Have you found ways that you can encourage and train people on that and create that culture? Or do you just look for it at the beginning when you're hiring them? Maybe a combination of both. No, it takes time. You know, some people sound good at the first interview and they're good for a while and then they go bad. <laughs> it, it, it takes time. Some get better with challenges and opportunities and grow up and rise up. You know, yeah. some plateau. So you just have to be able to judge that. And if you can't, get somebody who does for you because they'll get in your way of growing the business. Yeah. Well, I'm curious now that we talk about other people, is your husband still actively involved in a leadership role in the business? Are you guys uh, doing this together? And if so, what is that dynamic like? Customer service. <laughs> you would imagine we get asked a lot. So his office is like way back there with the creative people. Um, we don't lead the company together. That's my job. But he leads the product development design. So I always say if I'm the brains, he's the heart and soul. Because you have to have love for the product. We're a product company. We're consumer goods. So without a good product, I can't sell anything. So that's his role where he has to lead in innovating, finding the latest fabrics, combining the latest fabrics and the great garments, right? Yeah. Um, so it's different. It's like a yin and yang, different dynamics. It's art and science. You know our logo, the square and the circle with anatomy? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a square picking a round hole with a husband and wife. That was not the intention, okay? <laughs> we look at it as art and science. And that's how we share the leadership skills. Oh, that's beautiful. And then we have Tom. We have the third person in operations um, who's good with that. Got it. So you're you're leading the company at the organizational level. He's kind of over product development, the creative side. And then you have somebody who's on the operations day-to-day side, right? Um, yes, kind of. I'm like the voice of the customer. So... I know what your wife is looking at, what she wants, when she wants it, what she wants again, and what she doesn't like, right? The voice of the customer is very important. How do you, how do you get that? How do you, how do you hear that voice? Is it just from talking? Oh, our to customers, customers are loud, man. They will not be quiet. <laughs> you just have to have the ears to listen. And it's not just on social media. They call, they come to our pop-ups. You know, they text me when something happens. I think that's what made us evolve and be so good and to one point and be such a relevant brand throughout, you know, good times and bad times that we listen to these ladies really well. They are, yeah. We have an affluent, sophisticated, tough customer base. These ladies will tell you what they want. And men, too. We have our men's capsule lounging. So imagine you buy a pair of pants from us. Something's wrong. You're going to call me, right? You're one yeah. of those guys. So you just listen. Listen and learn. Wow. So you guys don't have any brick and mortar stores of your own. Sounds like you're in other people's stores, selling online, doing pop-ups, those kinds of things. Yes, all that. And we run our pop-ups. Um, our Miami warehouse, the front of the warehouse is actually a little storefront, but it's open to the public by appointment. We have lots of interesting visitors and very powerful ones. I love it. I had, you know, four CEOs here with their wives and Lots of amazing people, you know, flying private to come here and stuff like that. We love it. So anatomy behind the scenes, we're proudly very transparent about what's going on. See, even in the podcast, I got noise behind. <laughs> we're very uh, 
yeah, open about who we are, not trying to be somebody we're not, right? I'm not the next Ralph Lauren, I'm the first anatomy, so um, we stay true to that. Um, is there flagships down the road? Maybe, we're not really retailers like that. We use our pop-ups as a fit studio and then enable people to go online and buy more and place special orders through our VIP stylist. And we're very comfortable in other people's environments as well. Mm. Like you mentioned, we work with Four Seasons, with Carlton, Canyon Ranch, Montage Properties, we're in Neiman Marcus, um, we're in high-end golf shops like Pebble Beach and um, some really good stores around the country that have been around for a long time. Wow. So we fit in, we're very versatile. Yeah. How big How big now is the organization in terms of employees and that kind of stuff? What? what how big are you guys now? We're a team of 20. Okay. And a board of six and 32 shareholders from our customer wow. base. Wow. Looking for the next round. Somebody's out there listening. We're <laughs> <laughs> well, always to, pitching, yeah? Come to Atlanta. We, we got a bunch of investors here in Atlanta for sure. All right. I do a pop-up and a pitch round. Let's go. Let's go. We'll, we can talk offline. We'll make, we'll see if we can make some introductions. That would be awesome. Um, well, uh, let's go back to you, uh, the, the dynamic between you and your husband. Again, because the people we have listening here are building their company. They are founders earlier on the process than you. Some of them might find themselves in business with their spouse. How do you, how have you navigated either well or when it didn't go well, changing that hat? from this conversation is a business conversation and I'm playing my role, you're playing role, your role, but now we're playing maybe husband and, husband and wife, or we're playing father and mother to our kids, right? Like, has that been a challenge? Has that been a learning curve? What's that been like for you too? In life changes with the kid, you know, before we had Charlie, uh, we traveled the world together for 10 years and remember we met working. So that's also very different from couples who are trying to start a business, you know, like after kids or a couple of years into the marriage. I'm not sure that's a good idea because they might not know each other from that perspective versus me and Sean, this is all we know. Yeah. Right? So when we're on a beach digging in the sand with the kid and the dog, we're still talking about shipments and designs and snaps and zippers and things like that. So for us, it's normal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you have somebody you trust is the good thing, but you kind of have to expect that, except that you're on 24 seven. Um, what helps break that is when you travel and do things separately, which we naturally do because of our skill sets. Like I'm useless in a factory and he's not very helpful when I'm pitching investors, you know, cause it's all about numbers and data and Excel sheets. Yeah. So I stay out of his fittings. Because I'm like, yeah, the jacket fits fine. And he's like, no, it has to be longer. I'm like, oh, nobody's going to see that it's different. You know, so he's more <laughs> thorough and you need that in yeah. your role. So you have to stay out of each other's way. You have to keep your date nights. We go on date nights. We call them sleepovers, but we go to a hotel and watch movies and order room service and things like that. Yes. And I keep that, yeah. We like to go on trips together. You just mentioned I'm Hungarian. So um, we drop off the kid in Budapest so she can have grandparents' time. And then we'll go fly to Vietnam or something like really far that we wouldn't go with the kid, which would be like a couple of times. Wow. We just kind of stay adventurous and, you know. The routine is tough because the days are crazy, but um, it goes on for a while. And before it blows up, we go somewhere. Yeah. Well, that, that brings me to my next question, which is you said, rightfully so, this is 24-7, right? Like when you run your own business, 
it never sleeps. There's always something you could be thinking about, an email you could be answering, a question you could be solving as you're getting a call right now. Uh, and and But what sounds amazing is you have created some boundaries where you still do get to go on an adventure with your daughter, where you guys do get to take a date night. And many of the people we hear use the phrase, I can't. They feel that pressure and they go, I can't, I can't. How, how have you combated that? I can't. Uh, you can't think straight if you don't. Like, right. That's, that's not smart. So you just see it plain as it is. Hey, it's not, it's not smart. I'll make this happen. I'll yeah, say. Basically, okay. yeah. It's not negotiable. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we are going like sometimes I have to argue with my husband you know it's Friday two o'clock my sleepover is on you know at the St. Regis I gotta go <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I would take my laptop you know like things can happen and they need me I'm not gonna hide from responsibilities but I'm like you better pack up while I'm leaving yes yes and then off we go have you had to be more judicious um selective as, as the business has gotten bigger on the kinds of things you say yes to versus the amount of things you're saying no to, right? Like, cause I'm sure opportunities, whether for business or things like this, podcast interviews can come up all the time. Have you had to start saying no to more things? I wish I had that skill. I'm always say yes to everything because I feel like every um, challenge and every exposure is an opportunity. Yeah. So you know that famous FOMO, the fear of missing out? Oh, yeah. I still have that, right? Yeah. So I should say no to a lot of things, but I don't. And yeah. if I mess up, I pass it on to our CEO or somebody like, sorry, guys, could you just like fix it or get me out of it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with FOMO, I love that term, by the way. It so accurately describes many of our personalities, right? That true fear of missing out. Um in many ways, like you said, that could be incredibly advantageous for the business because you discover new opportunities, you stumble onto great partnerships, you know, things like that. But it could also be, it has its downside, right? Which might be an overfull calendar or a distracted priorities where I'm, I'm focusing on so many things at once, I'm not focusing on anything fully. Have you seen that or have you been able to uh, kind of shape that personality trait into something that's mostly useful for you? Well, it's mostly useful for the company and the brand. So if I can delegate and the team members are capable of driving some of these to the finish line, then it works. But we have spun our circles around too, you know, a couple of times yeah. with some projects and it got nowhere where we spent time, energy and money and there was not much to the bottom line. But remember, we're building a profitable business, but we're also building a brand. I mean, you're creating a buzz about the brand. Sometimes you just got to do those things, even if they are not profitable. So yeah. um, I think we're we're doing a lot for a small organization, for sure. Um, I usually get the comment when we have, I would say, C-level you know, prospects were interviewing for jobs like CMO position and CFO position, um, where they come from these really organized big companies where these things don't happen like this. <laughs> yeah. And they seem like they think we're crazy, but then when they join the company in the end, they're like, yeah, this is great. Let's make it work. Right. Yeah. So they start drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> they start drinking the adventure Kool-Aid, the chaos Kool-Aid, right? And the focus is the customer. I think as long as we give good product on the market to the end user and she's happy and she comes back, that's what matters the most. That's right. Well, you also mentioned that you have teams that you can delegate a lot of this stuff to that you trust. 
that's the critical component, right? Is if, if you're drumming up these opportunities that you actually have people, you could say, Hey, chase this down. Here's, here's the next step. You guys go do this. Uh, and that's, that's a huge credit to your, your ability to replicate yourself that you have these teams that you can delegate to. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta figure it out or you will eventually crash, right? It's not sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. And the results show a good example is our pop-up strategy. We have done so many on our own with my husband um, that I had to figure out, you know, who can like really be there all day, for example, and come each in a location 10 to seven every day, right? Right. So we tried it with our in-house employees. That's hard too, because you're taking somebody out of the office, but now that we're running it with our VIP team, that by definition is three, four ladies taking turns, professional wardrobe stylists, they get a commission. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the model is working. So just because the first time it doesn't work, it doesn't mean it won't work um, in the first place. Sorry, you're sitting in Luna. That's a bulldog we adopted during COVID, yeah. I keep, see, yeah, I keep seeing that beautiful dog walking back and forth. <laughs> she is the anatomy American bulldog. <laughs> yeah, I love One year it. old, we got her five months old. I don't know if you know that. I think there's like 64% more workplace happiness with the pet in place. So, you know, wow. last year was pretty shitty. We, we were desperate. We had to try everything to keep going. <laughs> so she adds a little layer of complexity. Yes, that, that might be the best uh, summary of last year. Last year was pretty shitty, right? <laughs> For everyone. Uh, what did you find? What did you find was the biggest thing that helped you guys stay alive last year when everything's changing? Can we work together in person? Can we not? Are people still buying? Are they, are budgets tight? Like what were, what were some of the, maybe the biggest thing that helped you guys survive that craziness of last year? So I have a whole list of things we just reported to our board, a two-page thing. If you want to read it, Drew, I send it separately. But the major things were the strength of the product that was designed as a travel outfit and everything's locked down and nobody goes nowhere, right? And we noticed that customers are living in it. I had texts coming and Instagrams coming and Facebooks coming. Like I'm in my kitchen. These are the most comfortable pants ever. I want three more pairs. So wow. our, our customer base is affluent. So it's not like they were tied on budget or running out of money. They're just the lifestyle changed. So they went to different places and they just wanted more of an anatomy because we're so comfortable and stylish and easy care. They realized that my travel outfit is great for golf. It's great for teaching kids at home it's all of a sudden this is the only wardrobe they need wow. so we are well positioned to grow actually and that's the pitch and speech i gave to my team you know back in march and april when it was looking really bad that we have to come out of it stronger and better eventually and that's what we did that's awesome. that's and awesome. you know in the beginning there was only my shipping person myself my husband one designer one customer service so out of 20 Five of us stayed in the warehouse spread out. We don't live very far. So, hold on, let me tell him to get Luna quiet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's go ahead and move into the lightning round. I know you've got so much more on your plate today. So, we'll go ahead and move to the lightning round. Five questions for you. First thing that comes to mind. Question number one is, what, if you could, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Keep all connections personal. Number one core value of anatomy, personal connection. But number two, going beyond expectation. Number three, speed matters. But if it was one, keep it personal. Love it. Number two, 
what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what was the worst? First one is don't do it. So people just every project or when you do, you know, it's right and you want to do it. And people just say, you just don't. Um, the best one is never run out of money. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Cash is king, right? Don't run out of money. Uh, I love that. Okay. Number three, what causes you the most worry leading your organization? I guess I don't have one. Does that make sense? I'm not worried about anything. <laughs> We're just keeping our minds right and working hard. Nice. I don't okay. know if I have a second to worry. So I don't even know what you mean by that. <laughs> I literally do not understand the question. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Too busy to worry. <laughs> Four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? A global and lifestyle brand. Okay. So you guys want to be the, the elite for that life? Top of the mind, global lifestyle brand, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Meaning oh. top of the mind, I mean by like the go-to brand. You wake up, you don't know what you're going to do. You put on your anatomy, it works. Whether you're flying, working, traveling, cleaning the house, doesn't matter. It's going to work. Awesome. I love it. In the world. <laughs> Okay, number five, it's a bit of a creative question, something your husband would probably love. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past, and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window. Okay. If, you, if there's a time that you could go back in time and you could tell your younger self one thing, whether it's an encouragement or you know, maybe it was a time you were really struggling and you needed future you to come back and give you encouragement that's all going to be okay, uh, when would you go back and what would you tell yourself? Maybe have babies sooner because when you're 45, you're exhausted with a five-year-old in <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> it's so busy so fast the way your 20-year-olds out there and 30-year-olds. Yeah. Don't sleep when you're 45, that's brutal. When you don't sleep when you're 20, that's because I did that too. <laughs> you have been such a pleasure uh, being on the podcast, your energy, your story, uh, really your attitude towards challenge and towards stress and it's been really incredible so uh thank you for taking time to be on the podcast share your story with us your brand you've for sure for sure got a customer out of my wife and i we were excited to to check out more of your off your clothing and um and man i'm just excited to see what this where this brand goes uh it's, it's skyrocketing me too. Right <laughs> me too to call me i get her this can code okay i will kate thank you so much for your time and be good okay Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.